You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning again. It's good to see you all again this morning and thank you for coming this morning. Tom's away in holiday so you've got, you've got me for your sins this morning. Good morning down to all of you down in Cafe Church. I hope you're doing well this morning and enjoying the lovely daylight that comes in but we're stuck up here in the inner darkness. So it's good to, good to have you with us. I hope you're enjoying the cafe and the pastries this morning. Um, you know last week I was talking about Moses and about Moses' mirror and how Moses perceived himself and uh, as I was going through it and as I was talking about it, I was talking about how Moses had this perception of himself that was kind of out of line um, and that God was calling him to do something, but he made every possible excuse under the sun not to do it. He made every possible excuse not to do what God had called him to do. I want to continue a little bit on the, in that vein this morning because as we saw from the case of Moses, the guy that he was at the start when he encountered God at the burning bush was a very, very different guy to the guy that we see at the end of his life after leading the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and how he grew more and more and more into the authority that God had given him and he grew more and more into the role and the identity that God had given him. I want to look this morning at somebody else in the Bible. Um, the title of this morning's message is called Strength in Weakness. I don't know about you, but I don't like being weak. Does anybody here like being weak? Yes, I didn't think so. Not many of us like being weak. Being weak is not something that we value. It's not something that our culture values. It's not something that our society values. It's not something that our economic system values. The word weakness is not a word we want to hang around with too much. Whether you're man, woman, or child, people don't like to be considered or be perceived as being weak. I want to look this morning at Judges chapter 6 and at the story of a guy who was weak. He was genuinely weak, and yet he made lots of excuses for himself. I want to look this morning at a guy called Gideon. Most of you will have heard probably messages a million times about the subject of Gideon. Most of you are probably blue in the face from hearing about Gideon, but some of you, to some of you, it will be new. You won't have heard about Gideon before, so please, those of you who are uber familiar with it, bear with those who aren't so familiar with it. Let me begin by telling you this. We're reading from the story of the book of Judges. The book of Judges follows on from the great conquest of the land of Canaan by the Israelites under Joshua. Joshua was one of the greatest generals that they'd ever had. He was the only truly great general they'd had. Moses was, he was a good guy, but he wasn't the general that Joshua was. Joshua was a real warrior. He was a fighting man. But when you read the start of Joshua's life, you don't get the impression that he was an unusually good fighting man at the start of his life either. The story goes that they took over the land of Canaan, they overthrew their enemies with God's help, and everything went really well in that initial phase. They had a couple of upsets, but by and large, things went really well. But they didn't quite do everything that God had called them to do. They didn't complete exactly what God had mandated them to do in terms of clearing out the land. And they were left with some trouble around their borders. When you get to the end of Joshua and when you begin to read the start of the book of Judges, there is this phrase that's used. It says, in those days, Israel, the nation of Israel, had no king and everybody did what was right in his own eyes, baby. 
Everybody did what they thought was the right thing to do. Everybody had their own idea of what the right thing to do was. Everybody had their own idea of what gods they should worship and the way that they should live their lives. And by and large, they abandoned God's purposes and God's plans for them. I want to pick up the story reading in Judges chapter 6. And it begins with a preamble. And this is how it goes. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites, one of their enemy tribes, for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were hiding in the mountains, in the caves, and in strongholds. Whatever the Israel, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the cattle, sheep, goats and donkeys. Now you've got to remember when it says here, leaving Israel with nothing to eat, that is not like the teenager who opens the fridge and says, there's nothing to eat. That is not what the nothing to eat was. It's a bit like we say, oh, I have nothing to wear when you've got a a closet full of clothes. When it says nothing to eat, it means there was nothing to eat. No food. Hello. Sorry, I just thought I'd make that point. Because we can sometimes think, oh, there's just nothing to eat. My kids say it to me all the time, my teenage kids, there's nothing to eat. It's like the cupboards are like falling out with stuff, like, you know? Like, yeah, but there's nothing to eat. Like, there's no pizzas or anything there. Anyway, sorry. A slight aside there. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. They stayed until the land was stripped bare. And so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Now, just for the context, it's important to understand this. This wasn't a little local difficulty. This wasn't a small problem in a village up the road. This wasn't a handful of camels coming in and stealing your stuff. This was a national devastation. It was a complete disaster. The whole country was under the jackboot of the Midianites. The whole country was under pressure from these people. This wasn't something small that happened in a corner. Everyone was hungry. Everyone was struggling. Everyone was hiding. Everyone was afraid and in terror. And that's the context into which this next part of the story happens. Just bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. This was massive. Here, just give, if you take it, imagine the whole nation of Ireland had nothing to eat. Nobody had anything to eat. Imagine that another foreign power was invading and taking... Actually, that's a bit too close to the bone. We'll move on. Um, So... But imagine that, imagine the whole country, so it's a national disaster. That's the context into which the next part of the narrative plays. It's so important to keep that in your head. The sheer size and complexity, the monstrosity that this this disaster was. And so the story continues. It says, and then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebezer. Gideon, the son of Josh, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Mighty warrior is hiding inside in a winepress, 
threshing wheat. Now, you normally threshed wheat up on top of a hill where the breeze would separate the chaff from the, from, the, from the grain. And it would all be done in open so that people could thresh their wheat and make food. But this guy's hiding inside in a wine press. A wine press was designed for pressing olives. It was a dip, like it was like a bold out area that he was hiding down inside trying to thresh the wheat. He was hiding for his life. The last handfuls of grain that he could get together when an angel appears to him and says to him, Greetings, mighty warrior. Now, anybody looking on at that situation would have said, I think that angel of the Lord has this one wrong because he doesn't look like no mighty warrior to me. He doesn't look to me like somebody who is ready to take on battle. He looks like somebody who's really, really, really afraid. Somebody who is afraid for his life, afraid for his future. And the angel appeared to him and said, Mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And I love his next line. And I've heard it said so many times. Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord, when they said the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But no, the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You see, sometimes we can look at our lives and people say, well, the Lord is with you. I've said it, I say it to people all the time. You look, read Romans chapter 8, and you can see that the Lord is with you, and the Lord is with us. Would anyone say amen? amen? But yet so many people have come to me over years and years and said, and I probably made the complaint myself on a number of occasions, so there's no judgment or anything, aspersion. And I've said myself, and other people have said to me, well, if the Lord is with me, how come this is happening to me? How come I'm in this situation where I can't seem to prosper and I can't seem to find a job or I'm fighting with my wife or my kids are sick or the house is in arrears or I can't pay my rent? If the Lord is with me, why is all this stuff happening to me? And it's a pretty reasonable question for most of us to ask, why, what's going on? There's two things going on. One is we don't have a correct perception of what it means for the Lord to be with us. And the second is this, Gideon has ignored the first few verses of this particular chapter where it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they abandoned him. And it says, in part that we have missed out here, that a prophet from the Lord came. It says, then the Lord sent a prophet and the prophet basically said, it's all your own fault because you abandoned the Lord. Like I said recently, I've never in any, of my, any time in my life ever been encouraged by the words, it's your own fault. But that was the truth of the situation. The situation they were in had been brought upon them by their own hand. And yet, Gideon doesn't seem to wake up to the fact that all the people who were now starving and invaded had, ex had actually abandoned the Lord. And that was the reason why those circumstances had come upon him. That was thing one. Thing two is this. We say, the Lord is with you. What does that actually mean? When we say the Lord is with you, does that mean you'll go into the job interview and say, well, the Lord is with me, so I must get this job, regardless of my qualifications? No, that does not mean the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, so all you have to do is pray over your bank account and suddenly money will appear from nowhere. No, that's not what it means when we say that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in your situation, in your circumstance, so you have hope and you have faith and you have expectation and you do not despair like those who don't know the Lord despair. That's what it means for the Lord to be with you. It also means that we do get breakthroughs and we do get amazing deliverances and great victories, praise God. But sometimes we don't. And so the next time you're in trial, the question to ask, if the Lord is with us, 
Why has all this happened to us? I know there was times in my life when there were just things were going wrong left, right, and center. And I thought, Lord, I thought you were supposed to be with me. Why is this going on? And yet now I realize the Lord was with me. But we'll get a little bit, we'll get onto that a little bit more in a minute. But the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then it says this, it goes on to say, And then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites. So the Lord says to him, go with the strength you have. Now, I got myself into trouble years and years and years ago by sharing this particular verse because I think that there's a truth in here somewhere. And it's this. Why would the angel of the Lord, and I've read through lots of different translations in English. No, okay, I haven't read kind of Portuguese or German or Irish translations. Right that. Reading through, and all of them use basically the same phrase. Go with the strength you have. Go with what you have, Gideon. But Gideon didn't have a whole lot of strength. The Lord said, I've called you. I am sending you. So what he's saying is, don't you wait until there's a sudden bang and you've got strength and off you go. It's go now and the strength will be added as you go. It's go now because I am sending you. And as you go, you will know my power and my presence coming upon you. So go in the strength. You have, go with what you have right now, Midian. What have you got in your hand? I've got the treasure to do. Just go with that because I am sending you. And that's so important because the Lord was sending him. He'd given him a particular commission. If God has commissioned you or is sending you to do a task or to do a job, or to do whatever, if God is commissioning you, he will empower you and enable you. Would anyone say amen? He will give you the power, but you've got to be the first to go. I'm going to take the first step. You've got to go. You can't wait for it all to happen and then go. You've got to wait for the first step. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Like I'm just one of the O'Donovans. And the O'Donovans are the smallest clan in Cork. And I'm Michael O'Donovan. I'm the youngest boy in the family of of the clan in Cork. The Lord says, what? I'll be with you. I'm I'm going to go with you. You see, Gideon actually makes a good point here. Believe it or not, Gideon actually makes a good point. The point is that in the history up to that point, and then even in the history of the Israelites, generally, the weakest guy wasn't picked. Generally, that's not how it worked out. Normally, it wasn't the small family. It was from the lead families, the big powerful families, the influential families, the warring families. That's where the leaders came from. And even within those families, it was the leaders. It was the firstborn. Remember the whole, the whole story, if you look into the Old Testament, it's all about this firstborn, firstborn firstborn. It keeps on coming. The firstborn were cursed in Egypt. It was the firstborn who was replaced by the secondborn in the case of the story of Jacob and Esau. It was all about this firstborn thing. The Israelites were mad about the firstborn. They just had a firstborn thing going on. And so here's, here's uh, poor old Gideon saying, hang on a second, what about my big brother Jerry? Why don't you send him instead? Because like, he's like the biggest in my clan or send somebody from an even bigger clan. But the Lord said, no, I've chosen you. But Gideon said, I'm too weak. I'm from the weakest family, weakest clan. I'm too weak. The Lord says, okay, I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, I got to say, I have a lot of sympathy for Gideon. I think Gideon gets a bit of a hard run um, very often because people say, well, you know, he was doing this and he was doing that. I have a lot of sympathy for him. I mean, I am the youngest brother 
I'm not the youngest brother, sorry. I'm right in the middle. I've got two younger brothers, but I've got five older brothers. I know, I know. I forgot where I was. I forgot where I was. Actually, four older brothers. How many brothers have I got? I have one, two, three. I think I have four older brothers, right? And I have two younger brothers. I'm one of seven boys. Now, if the Lord appeared to me and said, you know, I need you to go and do some mighty act of valor, I'd say, why don't you pick Aidan or Ian or Fergus or Christor? They're my bigger brothers. Like, they're bulls. Like, they're, they're animals, these guys. I can't, even, I can't even fight them. Never mind say fight someone else. Why don't you send one of them? So Gideon is kind of right. He's probably, you know, and I love it in the message translation, describes Gideon as the runt of the litter. The weakest of the litter. In Irish, they call him the echter of the litter. He was the weakest, the most feeble of all the brothers. And yet, that's the one that God called do you ever feel weak? I feel weak the odd time, but I don't tell people about it. I try not to. You see, because I think what happens with us is just like what happened with Gideon, we don't like to generally display our weakness or our failures, do we? Nobody comes and says, I failed this week. Pray for me. Nobody does that. Nobody comes and says, I lost my temper with my wife. Will you please lay hands on me? Nobody does that. We bury our weaknesses, we hide them, just like the first story Adam and Eve referred to it last week. They have, the Lord says to them, you can do whatever you like. I love it. He says, you can do any, whatever you like inside in the garden. Just don't eat the tree, the fruit of that tree over there. And I can imagine Adam and Eve were like, oh yeah, yeah. And all they could hear was, eat the fruit of the tree over there. That's all they could hear. And then the enemy comes and tempts him and says, you know what, God, God's kind of withholding from you and he doesn't really want your best because God knows he's kind of, he's pulling a fast one on you here that if you could only eat that fruit. And when they eat the fruit, they discover that they're naked. The Lord says to them, who told you were naked? And what they do, they go and they hide. They don't walk out and say, Lord, I didn't eat, I ate the one fruit that you told me not to eat. No, that's not what they did. They went and they hid. They went and they hid. I mean, how stupid was that? They knew God personally, they went and hid. Did he not know where they were? You know when it says, Adam, it says the Lord God walked in the garden in the, in the cool of the evening, and I'm digressing a bit, and he says, Adam, where are you? Like, was he like, was his GPS broken or something? He knew exactly where Adam was. He wanted Adam to say where Adam was. You see, you know, when we come in and we confess our sins, you know, we, 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 we sin, I mean, maybe you don't sin, but I sin, yes, you know, not, not, well, every day, but I do sin just like you do. You know, when we come in and confess and say, do you think we kind of go and say, Lord, I, I meant to tell you. I know you don't know this, but I, I gave out to my children earlier on this morning. I feel bad about it. Do you think the Lord doesn't know it? The confession is for us. It's for us. It's for our benefit. But we tend to go and we hide. We hide our weaknesses. We hide our failures. We hide, we don't play our faults in our sins. Nobody kind of comes out and brings them out and publishes their sins. Hi guys, this week I made a disaster of this. I shouldn't have touched that. I looked at this and I shouldn't have drank that. Now who's going to lay hands on me? Whoa. Stay away in case we get the infection. We're not interested in weakness. We're not interested in mistakes. We're not interested. We try and downplay it. We hide it. We avoid it. Why do we hide it and why do we avoid it? Because our culture hides it and our culture avoids it. Nobody you see in your 
TV is going to be there because they're weak. They're going to be there because they're strong. We live in a culture that values wealth. We live in a culture that values strength. We live in a culture that values courage. Even our market economy it was referred to as dog eat dog. They refer to it as so that, that if you're not able to get along, you're gone. It's the survival of the fittest, man. It's the strongest. It's the biggest. They're the guys who are going to make it. You watch an army movie and you see in an army movie that you know all the guys who do well are the kind of big muscly hairy guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger and they're the guys who do well and all the weaklings all get shot I mean if you see a movie a war movie anytime soon you'll notice that the weakest guys are always the first guys to be shot or you know the people who go with Captain Kirk onto the strange planet I always thought you know do you know when they beam them down in Star Trek and they beam them down to a strange planet and there's always Captain Kirk and a couple of people you know and there's always a couple of poor wannabes who've been beamed down with them you think to yourself huh? they're the first ones who are going to die in this one and two seconds later and they're, and they're phasered out of it all the anonymous guys all get killed off very quickly we live in a culture that doesn't value that doesn't value it but you know the reason why we're weak we're weak because we're human we're weak because we're human and sometimes brothers and sisters genuinely we can forget that we're just human beings that's not an excuse but we can forget that we're human beings. And sometimes what we do is we go off and we take our weaknesses and we take them not only from the people around us, but we take them from the Lord. And we lock God out of these areas of weakness in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds. Maybe you don't, but I do. I've done it. We lock God out of these areas. And we kind of we don't bring them up. It's like the elephant in the room when we pray. We don't talk about the fact that we are this way or that we are that way or that we did this or that we have a weakness for that. We tend not to kind of go there. We lock God out and we lock people out because we don't want our weaknesses to be displayed because we value strength. We value courage. We, we, we value good looks and valor. And we've got a, a strange, excuse my French, we've got a strange kind of screwed up value system and we're constantly listening to it and it's constantly at us in advertising. It's constantly on our TVs and it's constantly being fed into us that it's strong and it's powerful and it's talented and it's rich. That's the way to life. That is not the way to life. And we lock God out of our hearts and we lock God out of these areas. You know, uh, the Lord is speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah and he said this to them. He said, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and in confidence is your strength. That's where, that's where it is. That's what the Lord said to them. In quietness and in confidence is your strength. And I've seen this on posters, and I've seen it on, 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 on Facebook, and I've seen uh, pictures on the internet, and they all quote this verse, and they say, only in returning to me, resting in me, in quietness and confidence in your strength, and we all go, amen. But when you read the, con the, the context, this is what the context says, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. We say, yes, Lord, it's in quietness and confidence in our strength, but we still, we don't sit still long enough for God to deal with those things. We can lock them away. Can I challenge you this morning? Can I encourage you? If you've locked God out of your heart and your mind, unlock the door this morning. Unlock the door this morning. As it says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and the knock. If anybody would open the door, I'll come in with him and eat with him and he will eat with me. But it does involve opening the door. It does involve unlocking parts of our hearts and our lives and saying, Lord, I invite you to come into this area of my life again. I invite you to come into this area of weakness in my life. I invite you to come and take part and be part of this part of my life again. Maybe it's your whole life. Maybe you've never 
unlock the door to Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you this morning? Open the door to him. Would anyone say amen? amen? You see, we want to be like this in reality. We want to be cybernetic organisms. We want to be people who are really, really powerful. We want, we, we want to be people who are like, has anybody seen Terminator? Terminator movies, come on, you can tell the truth. It's okay. It's not a sin to see Terminator. Ron Bishop, you watch Terminator. I'm shocked. Terminator is such a good movie. I remember watching Terminator when it came out. It was 1984, 85. I remember sitting at home, <gasps> gobsmacked. What a brilliant movie. Because who didn't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, sorry. Which one of the lads didn't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger? I'm sure the girls didn't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was this muscly guy. And no matter what they did to him, he kept coming. He was ripped and torn. And he was in bits. And he was strong. He was like this superhuman strength. And that's kind of what we all want to be really that's what I want to be indestructible indestructible that's what I want to be you know there, there, there's a guy who comes along to the church here he's in, he's in the army elite army ranger unit do you mind if I make reference to your beloved husband Laura he's okay with that is he Sean McAvoy Does anybody here know Sean I've had Sean up on the stage here before he's in the elite army ranger unit Sean can kill you in three moves just kill you stone dead he's like the terminator he's unbelievable this guy just you know talking to Sean and you just feel that menace kind of irradiating off him you kind of think oh boy I'm glad I'm not an enemy invader when you're talking to Sean, you're glad you're not a member of Al-Qaeda or ISIS. You, kind of, you know this is going to be the end of your line. But when you're talking to Sean, if you listen really carefully as you're talking to him and he turns his head, you can hear, mm, I'm telling you. <laughs> you can hear it. You, turn, you say, Sean, how are you? And he says, I'm doing okay. Mm. <laughs> he says, I must go up and get the young fella. I've just got to go. Just... I've just got to go through the crash. I do not want to take this guy on, but I want to be like him. I want to be like him. We want to be indestructible. We want to be strong. But the truth is, we're weak. We're weak. How we see weakness is so messed up in our heads. Like if you went into an interview, you went to a job interview and you sat down inside there and they said, Hi, how are you? I'm Michael Sloppy to meet you. I'm looking for a job. I'm fed up of being a pastor. I'm looking for another job. So you sit down. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, so you're sitting there and they say, So tell us, Michael, uh, what are your strengths? Well, I'm this and I'm that and the other. I'm not going to tell you what my strengths are. But in a, and they say, And tell us, and do you have any weaknesses? Well, you know, imagine you're going for a job in a bank, okay? You're going for a job in a bank. You say, Well, yes, I, I, one or two weaknesses are I'm a desperate liar and I love money and I can steal it, no problem. I'm really good at it. Do you imagine the guy sitting across the desk and go, you're our man for this job. We go into job interviews. We don't accentuate our weakness. Well, to be honest, I'm a bit of a crybaby, so I don't really want to get the job. You know, we, do, we, 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 we obviously accentuate what is positive about us. But obviously, when Gideon went to God's interview, he was impressed by him. Because when you look at all of the people that are chosen as heroes in the Bible, every one of them had weaknesses. Every one of them had weaknesses, and they weren't just kind of quiet, whispery weaknesses. They were obvious, big, huge weaknesses. You look at, look, at, look at the patriarchs, look at Abraham. You think, Abraham, he's the father of the faith, right? He is the founder of the faith. He goes down to Egypt. The Egyptians come out and say, oh, that girl is nice, and it's his wife. He says, that's my sister. Hello, Abraham, seriously? He does it twice. Twice he does it. And this is the father of the faith. 
What a weakness. Look at, look at Jacob. Jacob, here's one of the founders. It's the father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jake, Jacob comes along. What a chancer. What a trickster. He'd put a fast one on you in two seconds flat. He's a father of the faith, but he had an obvious, obvious weakness. But God obviously sees weakness different to the way that we see weakness. And he says as much. He says this. I know why my scriptures have disappeared off the end. Says, the, Lord, the Lord says, my thoughts and my ways are not like yours. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours. They're different. You know, we think God thinks like us. Don't we? Sometimes we think he thinks like us. And in the culture of the time, the gods that they were worshipping were very like human beings. They got jealous, they murdered each other, they killed, they committed adultery, they did all the things that human beings do. It was the same for the Greek gods and the Roman gods. They were basically just versions of human beings was the gods of those cultures. And the Lord is saying, I'm not like the God of those cultures. I am not, I'm not uh, murdering people and, and getting drunk and getting revenge on people. I'm not like that. My ways are higher than your ways. God sees weakness in a very different way. We see it as a straightforward pull of strong against weak. We see them as in competition all the time. But if you look at the Bible, the Bible seems to indicate that they're actually two opposite sides of the same coin, far more than in continuous competition. If anything, strength can be a weakness in God's eyes. Look at what Paul writes to the early Corinthian church. I love when he says this. He says, God shows the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, the things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. As a result, no one can ever boast. So he takes the stupid things and he shames the wise. He takes the weak and he shames the powerful. He takes the things counted as nothing to bring to nothing what the world considers to be important. And Paul begins that preamble by saying, not many of you were wise or rich or not many of you were very influential when you became Christians. Not many of you when you came to the Lord were in that condition. But God has chosen you, people like me, Foolish, weak, not very influential people. People like you, foolish, weak, and not very influential. And he says he's using them to confound the wise. So where is the joy in strength, in weakness? It's the last line that we have to pay attention for. As a result, he says, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. If somebody is operating in their own weakness... If they're operating in their own weakness, but God's power is upon them, then it is God who gets the glory. That's what it is. God gets the glory. In the story of Gideon, I'm not going to finish it off. In the story of Gideon, Gideon turns out in the end, unfortunately, to not be really great. He does amazing things. And then he makes the most almighty mistake. He makes a huge mistake towards the end of his life. And he turns out to be much more of a stumbling block and a hindrance than he does to turn out to be a help. You can continue to read his story through Judges 6, 7, and 8. You can continue to read his story, but it, it, it turns out in the end that Gideon is quite kind of happy to take a bit of the credit for all that happened. 
When actually all that had happened to him was God had picked him from obscurity and had used him. And that's why Paul is saying, if God chose the really strong and influential and powerful people, well, it's the strong and influential and powerful people who would get all the credit and God wouldn't get any of the credit for what was going on. You see these guys, you see these guys who kind of make billions on Wall Street and they're very rich and all that kind of stuff and, you know, the best of luck to them and so on and so forth. But you see these guys, you've never once heard one of them say, well, you know, I was just really blessed. I was, really, I was really lucky, you know, God just blessed me with all this wealth. You don't. They tend to write books about how to make investments and how to be good at this and how to be good at that. They tend to perhaps, in their case rightly, get the credit for themselves. But if we are going to have God's strength rest upon our lives, it is for God's glory and not for our glory. It is for God's glory and not for our glory. Why was Paul so happy? I, refer, I referenced, I read this last week, and I think it's really important that we pay attention to what he's saying here in these verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes to the Christians in early, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, that is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, in hardships and persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul, what are you talking about? How can you be both weak and strong at the same time? It's a paradox. It is designed. It looks like it's contradictory. It seems like an absurdity to us. How can you be weak? How can you be strong at the same time? And he says, I take pleasure. I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Paul kind of said, I'm actually quite enjoying the fact that I've got a lot of weaknesses going on in my life. I'm actually quite happy with these weaknesses. Now, let me just say this. Weaknesses, he's not referring to sinful habits here, okay? He's not referring to committing sins. Oh, I'm a desperate man for the women, but sure, I'm weak and the Lord is making me strong. That's not what he means here, okay? He actually lists out the things he's talking about. Are you with me now? It's not sinful activity is what he's referring to here in his weakness. In actual fact, he lists them. I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I like to be insulted. I take pleasure in insults. Paul, you... Thank you, brother. I bless you. Imagine that. Imagine somebody come up and insulting you and you go, yes. Jesus said, rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven when people insult you. And he goes, I, I, res- I delight, I take pleasure in my hardships. Has anybody ever delighted in their hardship and gone, you know, it's really hard for me right now. I'm struggling to pay the rent. I don't know that there's going to be any food in the cupboards at the end of the week. You know, I'm really happy about my hardship. But Paul puts in a little caveat at the end, and we'll get to it in a second. Persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. They're the weaknesses that he rejoices in. The things that he suffers for Christ. Not for being an aegis. Not for being a fool or being a dope. Or not for being wild or being sinful. Or indulging his personal habits. It's the things that he suffers for Christ. That's, that's the weakness that he delights in. Because he knows that at the end of the day, God is going to get all the glory. God's going to get the glory. And he's not going to share it. God doesn't share out his glory. And whatever glory there'll be will just be glory for us as human beings. So let me just ask you, do you ever feel weak? I feel weak. I feel weak sometimes. Anybody here feel weak every, every now and again? You can put your hand up. We're in a, in a good place. It's a safe place. Do you want to know God's strength at work in your life? Do you want to know God's strength at work in your life? It's, it's, it's actually quite simple, believe it or not. 
To know God's strength at work in our lives, we need to stop leaning on ourselves. Just stop leaning on ourselves. This is what, here's what the scripture says. You bless all who depend on you for their strength. Psalm 82. You bless all those who depend on you for their strength. Have you got a weakness this morning you want to bring to the Lord? I have. I'm not going to tell you what it is like, but I'm going to, I do have a weakness. And I'm not going to get you to tell me what your weakness is either, okay? Or the things that you struggle with or the things that you suffer with. But I want to bring a weakness before the Lord this morning. I want to pray for three things this morning as we, as we come to a close. I want to pray, first of all, that we would stop locking God out, that we would open up and invite God into those areas of our lives where we desperately, desperately need Him. Would anyone say amen? I'm going to pray this morning that we would bring our weaknesses before the Lord. We'd say, Lord, I give you this weakness. Give me your strength. That's the beautiful paradox. Lord, I hand you my weakness. Give me your strength. Actually, let's just pray for those two things. Will we stand and pray? Can I invite the worship band to come up, guys? Will you come up? We're going to sing the song that we sang towards the end of the worship. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We want to know our strength rising within us. The strength that is from heaven, not just from our own ingenuity, our own ability. We want to know heaven's strength at work in our lives. Let's close our eyes just for a second, just as the guys are preparing here. Let's just close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you realize that you have locked the Lord out of your life, that there's areas in your life that you have locked God out of, and you want to say, Lord, I want to open up the door and I want to invite you in this morning. Take me as I am because I can come no other way. If you want to open up the door this morning and invite God, invite Jesus to come in and be part of your life this morning, will you raise your hand? I see your hands. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who've raised their hands, Lord, who have locked you out of areas of their lives, Lord, locked you out of areas of their heart, Lord, where there's too much pain, or there's too much trial, or there's too much bitterness, or there's too much hurt, Lord. We open up those doors again this morning, Lord, and invite you back in to be part completely and totally of our lives. We hand ourselves over to you again this morning, Lord. We unlatch, unlock the door of those hearts, of our minds, Lord, of those ears we've closed out. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come in. Come in and eat with me. And I with you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song, and then we're going to pray together. Let's get out of this. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong God, you do not faith, you won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift up.
morning and just bring our weaknesses I don't know I'm not going to be asking you what yours is don't be asking me what mine is okay I want to pray this morning and bring our weaknesses before God and ask God to give us his strength to enable us to become strong in him this morning if you want to pray that prayer would you raise your hand I'm going to invite you let's come to the front let's make this a reality in our lives let's do business with God this morning and as we sing just make your way up to the front we're going to bring our weaknesses before God. I'm bringing mine. I'm going to ask God's strength. Remember the, word, the last verse I read. God blesses those who depend on Him for strength. Lord, I want your blessing in my life this morning. We want to be blessed. Let's sing. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong You do not fade, you won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles. Let's pray. You know what the Lord said to Moses? He said to Joshua. He said to Gideon, he said to David, he said to Paul, and many others. He said, I will be with I will be with you. I will be with you. In your weakness, I will be with you. I will give you strength. Can we lift, let's lift our hands before the Lord. Let's lift up those areas of weakness before the Lord. And let's pray. God, I so know she needs. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. Your word says confession is good for the soul, Lord. Lord, we do our souls good this morning by coming before you and acknowledging, Lord, that we are not the terminator, that we're not complete in our strength, Lord, but we are dependent upon you this morning, Lord. Lord, I ask you that you would bless us as we depend on you, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't be like the children of Israel who would have none of your strength, who would have none of your rest, who would have none of your restoring power at work in them, Lord. We are different, Lord. We want your power to abide and to rest on us. Would anyone say amen? amen. Lord, we bring this area, our areas of weaknesses before you, Lord. You know mine. You know all of those here, Lord. You know every one of us, Lord, intimately. None of us here is a secret to you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, this morning, give us your strength. Would anyone say amen? Lord, see our hands raised up and our hands open, Lord, to receive your strength in our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, so that we would go beyond what our physical limitations are. So that we would go beyond what our emotional limitations are. So we go beyond what our psychological limitations are, Lord. So we would go beyond what we think we can go beyond, Lord Jesus. We may be the weakest people of the weakest clan, but the Lord is 
with us. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that we, you would, we would have your view of us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that just like Paul did, Lord, through his experiences, as he experienced hardship and trial and trouble, his image and his vision of you changed. He saw you high and lifted up. He saw you stronger and stronger and saw himself weaker and weaker. He saw, him, he saw you as the powerful one and him as the dependent one, Lord, I pray. Lord, that we wouldn't be taken in by our own emotional ideas of the Lord being with us means that everything has to be just fine. It doesn't. But Lord, I pray that you would join with us, that you would be with us, Lord. In whatever trial or weakness or difficulty we face, Lord Jesus, I pray we would have your abiding presence, Lord. So that no flesh could boast in your presence, Lord. We ask you, Lord, be glorified in our lives. Would anyone say amen? amen? Take the credit in our lives. Use us and take the credit. Take the glory, Lord. Take us beyond ourselves. Just as you took Paul beyond himself and David beyond himself and Gideon beyond himself and Joshua beyond himself and Moses beyond himself. Take us beyond ourselves for your glory and for your goodness. Give us your strength, we pray, finally, in Jesus' name. And God's people said aloud, amen. amen. Praise God. Let's close in prayer while we're here. Will we all lift our hands to heaven as we close in prayer this morning? Lord, I pray that just Gideon had the angel of the Lord appear to him in the middle of his work day. I pray, Lord, in the middle of our normal week this week, we would know a visitation of your divine presence in our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would surprise us at a lunchtime or in a meeting, Lord Jesus. I pray you would surprise us in a conversation. You would surprise us, Lord, in a, in a chance encounter, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would realize that you are truly for us and not against us in this coming week, Lord. And regardless of what comes, Lord, I pray that our faith would withstand. I pray, Lord, our hearts would be strong. Our heads would be strong. And our faith would be strong, regardless of what circumstance comes this week. And I pray simply and deeply and profoundly, Lord, bless your people. Bless us. As we finish this morning, now to him who is able to keep you from falling. And to present you before his own glorious presence with great joy. To him be glory and honor and power and praise in this age and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless and keep you guys. God bless and keep you. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs. The lads are going to play us up with the song. We'll see you again on Tuesday night. We've got a visiting speaker on Tuesday night. God go with you and watch over you and keep you in Jesus.